0: Welcome, everybody, to Suited for Good Podcast. Today's episode is, uh, well, the first episode, uh, it'll be two parts. Uh, the first episode today is with uh, Dave DeRocher, and uh, I've always been super impressed with Dave because he is a, he is just a natural-born leader. He's the type of person who walks in a room, and you immediately know that uh, he's got influence, and the... I mean, as is evidenced by the podcast you're about to hear, but even from an early age, just uh, determined and also able to get things done or get things that he wanted done. Uh, The the first half of his life, uh, getting stuff done that uh, was not good. And the second half of his life, as you'll hear, has just been crazy, uh, impactful, meaningful. So this will be a two part episode or two parts, uh, for this, this, uh, interview. So episode one today, and then, uh, the following, uh, next go around. So please enjoy. Dave, good morning. Thanks for joining me on, uh, the suited for good podcast.
1: Good morning, BJ. it's, it's, it's an honor to be here. It's great to see you in that chair, man. Yeah it's always taken so long for us to be able to connect. I know we had it on the calendar a couple of times, but life has a funny way of happening.
0: Yeah, That's yeah, hey, no problem. I'm just yeah. happy you're here. And yeah, thank you. Um, I have, I have such high respect for you and I'm so grateful you'd come on our podcast to, to share your story. Um, you know, and, and, uh, prior to the podcast, I always do just a little intro, you know, that'll, that'll play in the actual airing. But, um, yeah, I just uh man, your 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 presence in any room is felt by anybody and uh your how you carry yourself is my, very much uh as a leader and I I I'd like to hear more about when your leadership style started. I imagine it started when you were like a baby mm. and uh that was just kind of how you how you rolled but anyway let me ask you the questions, and yeah. let's let's hear your story. So what was what was growing up like and and uh, what, what are your earliest memories? So
1: I, I grew up in Southern California. I was born in Anaheim, California, and I was raised in Cerritos, which is a, just a small town uh, to the far east of LA County. My mom and dad are still married today, 60 years into that marriage, in in spite of my best efforts to try to destroy that marriage on more than one occasion. I didn't realize it then, like now when I look back and go, wow, how did they make it through what I put them through? Um, But they did, and it's a testament to who they are and and to their love for one another because I really did make life uh, a living hell for them for many, many years. It was not, I, I can't even imagine what it was like having to deal with me at that time in my life. Um, my, my, I was a criminal before I was ever a drug addict. I was literally five or six years old. I was already stealing stuff. I remember an instance where I was, I stole some change from my mom, right? And then she realized it was gone, but she only realized it was gone because she knew who I was. I think she was probably checking (laughs) at five and my mom came and approached me. And I remember we were in the living room and she said, did you take the money, David? And I looked at her. I had long blonde hair. I was this cute kid, right? Um, And I go, no, mom. She said, empty your pockets. So I emptied my pockets. I was so proud. There was nothing in my pockets. She said, take your shoes off. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Got me. (laughs) You know, it started at a young age. Wow. I I was the kind of kid that at Christmas time, see, back in the early 70s, there weren't like credit cards that you'd send in the mail or gift cards. It was cash. So I'd wait for Christmas time, right? Or even sometimes in just the middle of the year, I would just go steal people's mail, And I would open it up and I would steal the cash, particularly around the holidays because I knew people sent money. So I was like a little criminal before I ever did drugs. Now, as that kind of behavior continued. Uh, I got into my mom and dad's van. My dad had some money stashed under the floor mat. It was like emergency money in case anything ever happened with the van. Because you know, back there, there's no cell phones. It's just, it was different times. And I got in the van and I took a $20 bill. I loved the game Pacheco. It was a Pachinko game, Pachinko game. You flip the handle, the silver ball would bounce around on all the pegs and I wanted one and my mom and dad didn't buy me one. So I stole the $20 out of the van. I dropped it on the other side of the fence. My dad's buddy was there and his son was there and we're climbing along the fence. I planned the whole thing and there's the $20 down there and we both jump off the fence and my buddy got due before I did. <laughs> so he goes in and he's that yelling part. about how he found the $20 and my dad knew exactly where it came from. Mm. Those kinds of things. So I was very difficult to deal with and there was some physical abuse that included uh, the belt, the hand, sometimes the fist. And this was the home I lived in. As, so as a way of punishment? It was a way her. of punishment, yeah. Now, it didn't all start that way, sure. but as the years rolled on, it that's how it got.
0: Were you an only child? I
1: wasn't. I was a middle child. I had an older sister and a younger brother. Okay. So my sister's about three and a half years older. than Me and my brother's about three and a half years younger.
0: Were they as mischievous as you no. growing up?
1: No, no. The typical, they were typical kids, but nothing like I was. I was definitely yeah. the the hellion, if you will. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are old enough to understand who Dennis the Menace is, I made <laughs> Dennis the Menace look like a choir boy. <laughs> um, it was just, just the way it was, but it was the verbal abuse. Now, that's the home I'm growing up in, so I don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. This is my mom and dad. These are my siblings. This is my household. I only know what I know. But the, the physical abuse continued. And I don't want even want to call it abuse. The, phys, the way I was dealt with uh, oftentimes was physical and the verbal uh, abuse. And then as the years rolled on, I continued with that kind of behavior. Very sneaky, very manipulating, just a little liar, just that kind of a kid. And then... Did
0: you... What What did you feel like was... What, why? You know what I mean? Why? I, I can't... From such I, a young age, like... Was, was there something about, was there something you wanted? Like you wanted the pachinko game or, you know what I mean? Like what, what do you feel like drove you to, to feel like you, you needed to
1: steal? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that I can identify that. I've never been able to identify why it started so early, but I can identify why it continued and got exponentially worse over the years. The verbal abuse. And I won't repeat the words my dad used, but you could imagine, you're no good, blah, 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 lots of adjectives. That was part of the spankings. That Mm -hmm. was part of the beatings. That stuff I didn't realize then was sinking in. And, you know, at Mm -hmm. 11, 12, 13, my friend group started to change because as they're entering the ski club or the surf club or whatever, I didn't feel good enough. I played sports as a kid, and I was a good athlete, not good enough to make the pros, but I was a good athlete, loved baseball and football, but I started to feel like I didn't fit in. I started to feel like I wasn't good enough. My dad even coached some of our baseball, and twice we, we won the city championship, and I remember sliding into home plate and winning the game. That was the winning run, and looking up at my dad. He was so proud, and I was so proud. It was just one of those moments, and we won the city championship. How old were you? I was probably 12. 11 or 12 when we won the city championship uh, when he was the coach. So he was always there. Don't I don't want to misconstrue that. He was always there, hardworking, aerospace, but he drank, right? And he was a very high function. It's not like he was drinking every night, getting drunk and beating his kids. That wasn't it at all. But, you know, drinking was normal for him. Um, but eventually I started to feel less than, right? But I didn't know it then, right? Remember, as a kid, I don't feel like, sure. hey, I'm feeling less than now. It's just the path I took, and I started hanging out with the stoners and started smoking pot around 12 years old. And I, I think
0: if I can I, – it seems like so much has changed in the way people are supposed to parent. Yeah. And, you know, you look back on how – because I was born in 79, but I just think things have changed so much that the expectation of parenting is very different. And mm-hmm. also the, the yelling and the, the shaming or even just the physical – is, I mean, that was more of a way that it was. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even necessarily looked down upon. It was yeah. like, I mean, there's a law in Utah that parents are legally protected to spank their kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, right, yeah. today. yeah. So anyway, I just think that was kind of a, a part of the times, right? Yeah, I, I think it
1: was very, very normal then I'm not saying that it should be happening today that people should get beat, but, you know, a spank across the butt sometimes probably do a kid some good today. Yeah. Um, You know, we're so afraid to do that now. We don't even want to call our kids out on their behavior. Oh, you can't shame them. You're right. We're not trying to shame them, but we want to tell them the truth. And if they feel shame because they heard the truth, tough BS. Yeah. Yeah. Tough, can I say poop? Tough poop.
0: (laughs) You can say whatever you want. (laughs) You know, so...
1: uh, at 12 years old, I, 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 my dad would have his friends over. That's where I learned to ride motorcycles, dirt bikes at a very young age. Loved riding motorcycles, go out to the desert, ride all the time. So that came with Budweiser's, right? Huh. So back in the 70s, that was like the beer of choice, light beer because uh, it had less calories or tastes great, uh-huh. and Budweiser. And my dad would have his friends over, pool table. They'd be smoking and drinking. I'd run to the refrigerator, get a beer pop the beer, I'd take the first drink and give it to whatever friend wanted it. And at the end, I'd go collect the cans and take the last drink. Now, they didn't set me down and go, here's how you pop a can of beer and here's how you drink it. But I watched them and I learned. So I was learning it at home, but they didn't realize I was learning it at home. It was not even looked down upon back then if, you know, some seven-year-old kid or eight-year-old kid is taking a sip of beer like it would be today. One thing led to another. I was coming home from school stealing alcohol out of my dad's booze decanter, and I was replacing it with water because he would never know then, right? Mm-hmm. And then over a period of time, he's coming home from work having a drink, and he realized that he wasn't getting the desired effect he was looking for, and I was. As you can imagine, that conversation did not go well. It came with a whole bunch of other uh uh, verbal berating, right? And but you know, how else do you deal with me at that age? Hmm. I mean, that was just one of the things I was doing. It was so many others, sneaking out, just so much stuff that I was doing. So that led to more discipline um i was literally on restriction i was doing prison time before i ever went to prison locked in my room for entire summers on restriction <laughs> lighting the trash can on fire and burning part of the wall right it was that's the kind of kid i was were
0: you so you've got an older sister and a younger brother mm-hmm. were they like were they like, what what's wrong with dave or were they, well, were, they, they were, were they were they in young. their own were they in their own stuff i mean from what i'm hearing it just seems like it was Dennis the Menace to the extreme. And yeah. were, the, were your siblings, were they involved in some of the shenanigans like this? Or were they more straight arrow like Dave's Dave's the problem child? Yeah. You know what I mean? What, they, how,
1: nothing like I was doing. Uh-huh. Nothing like I was doing. My little brother... Uh, how, how much younger is he? Three and a half years. So, you know, if I'm eight or nine, he's still really young, probably too young to understand what's happening. They see the spankings. They see me getting in trouble, right? But it's not like they're, we're having deep conversations about what's sure. going on. We're just too young to understand sure. what's happening. Sure, sure. Um, my sister was three and a half years older, so she was kind of, you know, and we're the younger brothers that just get in her way, right? And, you know, she, as the years went on, she was dating in high school and starting to have sex in high school, and then mom had to get her on the pill and, you know, that kind of thing. That stuff was going on. I remember, you know, listening to the, my parents talk and, you know— uh, uh uh, try to coach my sister through that stuff. I remember parts of that growing up. Yeah. So it's just really basic, typical stuff. Sure. We weren't grown. I didn't grow up in a in a religious household that was LDS where that stuff didn't happen. Not that it doesn't happen, but it's not as prevalent, right? Uh, because it's not in the household like it was in ours. Hmm. So stealing the booze and then uh, smoking pot. And then I think I was around 13 and a half or 14 years old when I did my first line of cocaine. Wow. And- this is important to understand, right? And I can't emphasize this enough. When I did my first line of cocaine, I thought I found God. It isn't so much the way it made me feel. It's the way it no longer made me feel. Again, I'm young. I don't understand that yet. I just know I feel like Superman. I don't feel insecure i would be in my bedroom as a teenager and remember those hitachi stereos that have the detached speakers in the corner and you know i have all the posters of iron maiden and you know uh, of uh Uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Van Halen on the wall. And my mom and dad are like, oh, goodness, what is going on with him? Well, underneath that Hitachi stereo would be my little flat mirror with my Coke on it underneath there. Wow. So they'd come in to see if I'm doing my homework. And, man, I was sitting at my desk doing my homework. I just did a line and slid it back under. And that was the kind of kid that I was. But Coke was expensive. It's not like I had a full-time job right? I'm stealing everything. I get into my dad's wallet, get the safe combination, get into the safe and steal thousands of dollars before he realized I had gotten into the safe and stole thousands of dollars. I would ride my bike to get my drugs. I'd ride my bike to the adult Coke dealer, right? I even rolled my bike. As a 13, 14-year-old. Yeah, between 13 and the time I graduated from high school. I even forged one of my dad's checks, went to the bank. I'm going through the drive-through on my bike with a forged check. Trying to cash it when the police arrived. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe I had the beatings coming. I'm, you know, as I look back, I'm like, God, they should have beat me harder, right? Wow. It was, it was, and so many more things like that. Wow. So, Coke, I did Coke all the way through high school. Who,
0: so, I mean, that, you're, how? Who, like, Other so, kids. so you're doing marijuana. Yeah. And it's this gateway to to, to, to cocaine. That, it is. It, I, 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 haven't done, <laughs> I haven't done cocaine. Yeah. It's never too late, BJ. <laughs> 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 but listen,
1: you just said something I want to touch on. I want you to come back to it. I want, And I want you to follow that thought. Yeah. You said the gateway. Please, in a half hour when we get to that part of the story, I want you to come back to that. I have something really important I want to talk about as it relates to that. Okay. Really important.
0: Okay. So... Uh, yeah, so you're connected with friends at high school. Or I mean, at 13, 14, your junior high, mm-hmm. right, about to transition to high school. Like, where are you finding this? So there's other kids, and that's something we're going to talk about when we okay, get that's, to that point. That's, okay. But there's other kids that are
1: getting high. Like I said, my friend, uh, my, my circle of influence changed. I started hanging out with the stoners, smoking pot, and some of them were doing coke. And then through high school, that's who I started hanging out with. I still, I was a pretty popular kid. I was I I wasn't definitely wasn't reaching my potential. Barely I was going to school but wasn't doing my schoolwork. Things got so bad that I would carry a vial of cocaine in my pocket, little dark glass vial with a black top. I'll never forget it. And I would sit in the back of class. And when I was sitting in the back of class and the teacher would be up at the front of the board, whether it was history class or math or English, I would take that vial and I'd pour some of the coke onto my book. Right, and the teacher's not looking, and then I'd take the big pen, and I'd pull it apart, and pull the ink cartridge out, and I'd use that big pen cartridge as the straw, and I would just lean over and snort coke in class. That's how bad it got.
0: I wow. had to continually do it. Were your were, were your fellow students like looking out of the corner of their eye as you're snorting cocaine out yeah, of a book?
1: I, I would imagine some of them were, but me and the other kids that were stoners would sit in the back of the class and and do that. Wow. It was at cerritos high school I'll, I'll never forget it. I mean I was that it was that risky and but I didn't care. I needed mm. to get high, right? so I would just I would do it. Wow, And the more I did it, and the more I got away with it, the easier it was. I just literally just kind of poured between my books, and no one's really looking except for maybe the kids back there. and then I would just lean over and boom, do a bump, Wow, in school. Wow. continue to do that in high school, was sexually active in high school, got uh, a woman pregnant got rallied the money together, got her the abortion, got her pregnant again, uh, junior year. And I ended up having my first son while I was a senior. Could you imagine me at that time in my life with kids? Well, I thought it was going to solve all my problems. That's another huge issue. You know, people are having kids thinking it's going to solve the problem, but it isn't, it's going to make them
0: so much worse. Because- how, how did you think, walk me through that. How did you think having a kid at that age? I mean, obviously 16, 17 years old, 17 after you're a senior, right? Maybe 18? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, how, I was 18. How, how do you think that that's going to solve uh, your problem? I, th- I thought that it was two things. Part of it was manipulation. I thought for sure
1: that when I have the kid, it's going to force me to grow up and be responsible and get a job and hold it down so that I can take care of this child. The other part was grandparents on both sides are going to help us. and It's going to give us more money and allow me to continue to live the lifestyle. And, and here's the problem with therapy today. I don't care what anybody says. Go ahead, send people up to the college and give them a 10-year degree in social work. You wouldn't know I was thinking that. They can't teach you that in school. Unfortunately, most academics that are coming out of college that have read 700 books don't have a clue how we really think, right? They're reading these books and we're indoctrinating people in college that it's this disease, it's this, it's that. And whether it is or whether it isn't, is irrelevant because ultimately it's a choice. BJ, did you do drugs today? No. Do you want some? No. It's a choice. You can ask me the same question. Go ahead. Dave, did you do drugs today? I didn't. Do you want to? I don't. And I'm a former drug addict. I don't have a disease. My moral compass is pointing north today, and I won't choose to get high again. What we've done in this country over the past few decades is we've removed the accountability piece, and we've made us all victims to this disease. Well, you don't have the disease if you never choose to use. It's like the chicken and the egg, which came first. If you don't use, the disease doesn't exist. So, what is it—a choice or a disease?
0: That's probably for a whole other conversation, right? I have a feeling we're going to get into that more. Yeah. So, so, but but right now, you 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 thought, oh, okay, she's pregnant. Yeah. This this could be a really good thing yeah, for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This time. <laughs> this could be great. This time, we're going to keep the kid. And, and my parents, we had to break the news as teenagers to our parents, and that did not go over well. And she was raised in a Catholic household. She was Hispanic. And I remember when her dad came over to our house so we could break the news to him. My daughter. And we were talking about having an abortion, right? Again. My daughter would never have an abortion. She would never do that. She's Catholic. We already had one. Oh, my gosh. You can't even imagine, right? The look on his face. This is what we put our parents through. Hmm. This is what I put. This is what I put people through with the choices I made in my life. Now, some people listening to this would go, oh my God, he was just a kid. He didn't know any better. Yeah, I did. Maybe not at that age to the degree that I do today. But, you know, most teenage kids don't have kids because they do know better, right? And they're listening to their parents. They're listening to their influencers. They're listening to their teachers. They're listening to their counselors. I didn't listen to anybody. Hmm. So, my life just continued to spiral out of control. I had my son, Christopher. And, you know, I didn't even want to be with her anymore. I'm just a kid. I don't know what love is. Hmm. I don't even know how to love me. Am I going to yeah. love somebody else? I can't even take care of me. Am I going to yeah. take care of a kid? So, my drug use continued to spiral out of control. I was in the room when Trish had Christopher. I was in the room at the birth with drugs in my pocket. And as soon as Christopher was born, the umbilical cord was cut. And, you know, I held the baby. I went right to the bathroom and did a line of coke. I was in the room doing it. Nothing stopped me. And so many other things just like that. That's how bad it was. When I graduated from high school, which... But you were able to graduate from high school with all this going on? It wasn't hard to graduate from high school. uh, School wasn't difficult for me. Right now, I didn't get straight A's, right? I I did barely graduated in some case. I I think I had a D or two and the rest were C's or whatever it was. But it's not like I was going home doing homework. But I did enough to get by. And I graduated. But when I graduated from high school, BJ, I went from cocaine to methamphetamine. And that is really when the wheels fell off. And when I say fell off, I mean that's when they were already loose. The lug nuts weren't tight, right? Including the spare. And things were getting bad. But when I started doing meth, <clears throat> I think when I, was, I said when I started doing coke, I thought I found God. But when I started doing meth, I was definitely introduced to him. It was much cheaper, it lasted a lot longer, and the feeling last. You know, I, it, there wasn't that real bad come down. And then I stopped stealing from my habit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I found another way to take care of my habit, and I started dealing drugs. But I did not set out to be a drug dealer. Hmm. I didn't like reach over and. You know, BJ and you and I are graduating high school. We shake hands and you say, I'm going off to, yeah. you know, Penn State and I'm going to go to the state pen." That's not how it happened. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would buy some and sell some, buy some and sell some, buy a 16th, sell some quarter grams, buy an eight ball, sell some quarter grams, buy a quarter ounce, sell a 16th, sell an eight ball. And for those of you who know, you know what I'm talking about. And one thing led to another, and I didn't realize I had an entrepreneurial gene within me, right? But it was apparently surfacing <laughs> and I started making money. But along with oh. that came... Protection. So now I'm running around with large amounts of drugs and loaded firearms, and I won't get into the weeds and telling myself for some of the things that happened that could have got me life in prison, right? And I am grateful to God today that I got busted for the things I got busted for, and I got away with the things I got away with. It has helped me really identify the fact that there is a God, and he He was in my life, right, in spite of the mistakes I was making because had I gotten in trouble for things I won't mention, I would never have come home from prison. I would have stayed in for the rest of my life. I got in trouble. I got caught for the things I got caught for, and I got away with the things I was supposed to get away with. But the lifestyle was getting really out of hand. Loaded firearms, lots of violence.
0: So how old are we? I mean, are you... You're, 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 recently graduated from high school. Yeah. I'm a couple of years from high school now. I've been just doing drugs and just working odds and end jobs. And, you know, then I started dealing drugs and getting arrested. So your parents at this time, you, you moved out, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah what, I, I'm i back and forth. You're back and forth. You're moving back in when, yeah. when it really hits the fan and you're, yeah. and your mom and dad are like, let's try to give him another chance. Mm-hmm. Try to, you know, mm-hmm. are you, when you come back home, are you like mom and dad, I'm, I'm trying to get clean. Or are you? You know what I mean. What What are the conversations yeah. like that with your that, parents? That's at that exactly time?
1: what the conversations are. They would set, uh, put some parameters around me being able to come home, uh, some expectations, and I would break them all. But, I, you know, I, I would definitely tell them all the things they needed to hear because I needed to come home at that time. And things hadn't gotten real bad yet. The, the the guns and the violence hadn't started yet. That gap between high school and the next couple, two or three years, it was just using and couch surfing and bouncing around from girl's place to girl's place, just getting high and not really ever doing anything with my life. It was just a a party.
0: So the, the the way you afforded the drugs before the guns came— was stealing and just buy some sell some buy just, some okay. sell some so, okay, yeah, and before steal. it was full full blown drug mm-hmm. dealing, it was yeah. get get enough to feed yeah. your own habit and sell the rest yep type that's of a exactly deal. what it was okay
1: Th- that doesn't mean there wasn't some stealing going on. I moved to Vegas for a while and worked for some car dealerships and would steal the checks out of the locker and go to the casinos and cash the checks you know i was I was yeah. still doing that kind of stuff,
0: so uh working at a car dealership, yeah. A uh, used car dealership. used car dealership. Yeah, in but, Vegas, so you can imagine. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, again, for for people who don't know you, you're very magnetic personality. I bet you sold a lot of cars. I, I did okay when I was at work. <laughs> 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 it's not that I went all the time. Sure, okay.
1: But, you know, I, I went, and it was, you know, again, it was the, you know, late 80s, I think, mid 80s, late 80s, right after high school, a couple years after high school. Yeah. You know, and I I – by then I'd had two kids with Trish and then I'd met a dancer at the Humdinger, right? Uh, during the time I was getting a divorce and of course got her pregnant and that's my third boy. Okay. But did I raise any of them? Hell no. Mm-hmm. I was in no position to raise kids uh, at all. You know, I was just having kids. And for those who have not lived my lifestyle, I would go, How does that happen? What were you thinking? I was a drug addict. I wasn't thinking wasn't part of the equation. Right, I wasn't mature enough to understand the, the decisions I was making, and I don't know, I was, you know, Dennis the Menace you, you on not
0: You weren't thinking that way, You're right? Your thought process was going to solve this other, mm-hmm. the bigger issue for you at the time was yeah. how do I keep this high? Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting to me to hear your, you know, just this this period of your life and the amount of ingenuity that it takes to problem solve what your problem solve, your problem solving, how do I get these drugs and how do I facilitate Mm -hmm. this lifestyle that Mm -hmm. I want, that I can't imagine how many steps it takes to enable you to do that. All these things, you know, like you say, it turns out I have entrepreneurial spirit. Well, yeah. I mean, you've been, it sounds like you've been practicing it since you were like five years old. How do I, you know, take the $20 bill out from under the, like your problem solving at such a high level, at such Mm -hmm. a young age, so Mm that you can get what you want. Thank that's goodness I took
1: the black hat off and put the white hat on. <laughs> Seriously, but it, it gets yeah. better though. We're not, yeah, let's, believe let's, me, it gets yeah. better.
0: So, okay, <laughs> so like you're you're talking 22 years old ish ar- mm-hmm. around then. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's when the drug dealing starts to get heavier. Yeah. you need protection. You need to make sure that.
1: Yeah, you know when you're a drug dealer, people it, you're you're a target. People want to rob you. They're going to get cash and dope. It was. It was part of the game, right? And I knew it was part of the game. So I always was packing heat, always. And my first few prison terms, right, were because of large amounts of drugs and loaded firearms. My, I had been arrested a number of times. I didn't even get into the arrest. Even as a kid, you know, I got arrested at the drive through uh, uh, bank. Well, I, was I was stealing bike. bikes from the mall. I got arrested. I get arrested. They take you home. You know what that looked like. But as I started getting arrested for more serious crimes, I started doing a little bit of county time, and then boom, the county time was done, and I went to prison for the first time. My first prison term was two years. It was for about uh, uh, half a pound of meth and two loaded firearms. But here was the problem. I have the loaded firearms. I'm in a convertible. I show up at a hotel. The convertible top's coming down. The hotel, the cops are inside the hotel. They're waiting for me. As that convertible top's coming down, the doors of the hotel open up. The cops come out at gunpoint, basically in my mouth, and they pull me out of the car. As they get inside the car and they find the dope, they find the firearms. And as they look in at the firearms, they pull one of the uh, uh, clips out of the firearm, and it's got cop killers in it. So for those that don't know, it's a bullet. The top is chopped off, so it's flat on top, and it has a dart coming through, and it's Teflon-coated, so when it hits the vest, it goes through. So the cops took that very seriously. So now I'm handcuffed. They mm. pick me up. They're holding the bullets, asking me, what the hell is this? And I said to him, you know what that is. And the cop was like 6'6", six, six, wow. big Huntington Beach cop, swung me around with one hand, open hand with the other, to the face. I've never been knocked out to this day. I've had my bell rung. But it dropped me to my knees and I saw stars, right? And I mean, how do you blame the guy? I'm running around with a loaded, two loaded 9 millimeters with cop killers in it, selling dope, tearing at the fabric of the community. I'm not going to make excuses for law enforcement, but he did exactly what I had coming. Wow. I wish I had that mugshot today because I remember seeing it way back in the day. It was the, I don't know, late 80s, early 90s, and my whole face was swollen. Wow. Anyway, that got me two years in prison. I did my sentence, got out, and stayed out for 59 days, but the day I got out of prison, BJ, I was on my way back. My homeboy came to pick me up, and when we left the parking lot from the prison, he said, reach under the seat. I reach under the seat. I pull the bag out, pipes, dope, straws, everything, and we're getting loaded the whole way home, and then got to Huntington Beach and had a welcome home party like I had just come
0: home from the military. Wow. And that was the lifestyle I was living. So for two years, were you, accessing, were you able to access drugs in, in prison? So were you were you clean a, by that time? I'm a first termer, right?
1: So you have to earn your stripes in prison, especially in California. It's my first term. I don't know yet how everything works, but I'm learning during that first term. I did about 15 or 16 months on that two years, got in a little bit of trouble for a fight, so I lost a little bit of good time. But did I dunno, I think it was about sixteen months on that first term, and started to learn a little bit and kind of make a name for myself on the inside, just willing to willing to fight. It's called having heart in prison. <clears throat> got out, stayed out for fifty nine days. Wait,
0: having heart, having meaning heart. you're willing to fight, you're if, willing to be on the front line. If somebody steps to you, you can you'll you'll go at them. Absolutely, no hesitation. And so did you have to prove that? Like, is it like yes. the, the movies you see that somebody gets in prison, you just yeah. go, you you got to go punch the biggest guy? It's is, It's, is, a heart, it like it's called a heart
1: check. So in, in California, I refer to California prisons as high school with knives, because it's a bunch of grown men that act like teenagers that have sharp objects, usually in the vault, if you will. Um, do you know what that means? I, I'm, I'm okay, catching just a making I'm sure. catching a visual. <laughs> so you, you, you know, when you're going to transfer it from one yard to the next or you have to move it, that's where it goes. Of course, it's wrapped up in a glove and cellophane and all that kind of stuff, but that's the life I was living. Wow. And when there's going to be a riot. So in California, particularly, it's probably the most racially violent prison in the country. Blacks, whites, Hispanics, Northern Mexicans, Norteños, Southern Mexicans, Cerdeños. Bloods and Crips, uh, White Power, and Skinheads. Those are your basic factions, right, uh, in the prison system. And we're all basically fighting over the dope that's coming in, the weight pile at that time, or whatever might be going weight on. Weight pile? Yeah, the, the weight. There's there, there was weights back then before they took him Got out it. of the California prison system. Uh, territory on the yard. Or you have somebody in your race that's gambling with the other race or somebody in your race that took a hit of a cigarette from a black guy. If you're not allowed to eat after the other race, whites and blacks or Hispanics and blacks, the blacks were kind of ostracized. And if a white guy was doing that, you're going to get dealt with by your own people. And if it's serious enough, you're going to get stabbed on the yard. So as By, by your own By race. your own people, right. So it's called your car, right? I was in the white car. Uh, it was funny. You, if you're white and you're in... The politics in California, you're a Peckerwood. Huh. Do you want to be one of those, BJ? Just curious. <laughs> I, you're something. called a Wood, for <laughs> yeah, short. Yeah. We're Woods, right? Then you have the Hispanics, yeah, the, the Serenos, and then you have the you know, the other races, but we were Woods, but Peckerwoods, you know, was, you were proud for that name, right? Interesting. It was just so crazy. Really? I look back, I'm like, oh, God, did I wow. actually live like that? But yeah. I did. Huh. So well, was, like you said, it was high school boys with with knives. Yeah, it was high school, you yeah, know, it was high school with knives, and, uh, and it was just crazy, but like all the ink that I've got, every bit, I've no shop ink. Everything is prison ink. And the political tattoos you have to earn, right? I've had some removed because I'm not proud of them anymore. But in order to, to get a swastika, which you see a big hole on my chest, it's gone now. I've had it removed because I don't really believe that, nor did I then. But I wanted to make a name for myself on the yard, so I had to put some work in to mm-hmm. get the WP. I have WP right here, white power. Now today I call it world peace, right? Mm-hmm. Um But in order to get that and other stuff, you have to put the work in. When there's a riot, being on the front line, being willing to go up in somebody's cell, right, and get into a cell fight to check somebody for something they've done wrong. So many other scenarios. If a rat, someone who's telling on somebody, or a child molester rolls up on the yard, uh, being willing to just walk up on them and put something in their neck. Things like that went on, right? That's, That's the world I was living in in the California penitentiary. So, as the years rolled on, I was gaining more and more respect, and my second prison term was a five-year prison term, and I was in Susanville, California, and that's when I got the keys to the yard for my race for my car.
0: Can I can I back up just a second? <clears throat> of course. Um. You said it was sixty. It was like sixteen months on that first sentence, but it was you had to stay longer because of a of an incident. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, did the other incidences where you're stepping up and proving yourself? Do they just not get? You know what I mean? Some.
1: It depends. If you're on a yard and there's a racial riot, there's so many people getting zip-tied on the yard, right, and laid down. But unless they have you on camera, they don't really know whether you were involved. Sure. um, Or you have marks. And even then, you're going to get a a mutual combat or inciting a riot, those types of charges. You're going to go to the hole. You're going to lose some of your good time. Right, so I never went home on my date. Yeah. I always lost some good time for either mutual combat, one-on-one fighting, going up in someone's cell, getting busted on the yard. But compared to how many times it actually happened and I got away with it, it's it was minimal all things considered. Interesting, right? And then, you know, that five-year prison term, I did some more of that kind of stuff. Did about I don't know thirty-seven, thirty-eight months on that five-year term, right? Because in California, I was getting half time, right?
0: No. What does that mean?
1: Uh, When you get, when you see here in Utah, they're indeterminate sentences. A a one to five, a five to life, a zero to five. Zero to five means you could go to board any time and they can parole you. A one to five means you're not gonna go to board until after your first year. A five to life means you didn't get a life sentence, you got five to life. It's gonna be somewhere between five and life. But after five years, you might go to board a couple times and then they'll parole you. In California, Mm. you get determinate sentences. I got a five-year prison sentence. I'll know about four or five months into my sentence what my parole date is. Because if I'm getting halftime in California, it's a little greater, we called it half time, but it's a little bit greater than halftime. We may be doing about 60% of the time. Right? So whatever your sentence is, your sentence you can
0: is. expect to so serve about 60% of that. Yeah,
1: and, and, but the other 40% is, is there. If you're getting in, t- in trouble, you're losing good time. You're losing good time, you're losing good time. You're pushing your parole date back. But if you pick up a Bible and go to your cell and just you know read David or whatever, John. Yeah uh three fourteen, whatever uh-huh. uh and you don't get involved in anything you'll probably go home on your date but you're also going to be looked at on that yard as a no good hmm. uh lay down punk piece of shit their car is not going to be there for you You're race if something were to happen because you're not there for them may i use that <laughs> language can i use that language yeah. because i just want to be real about what it was i think, like.
0: i think you just need to be real
1: yeah um so you know, you have a choice to make and my choice was I want I was in. I was in, I want I, I want in I I'm in. Yeah. Right? Count me in. Yeah. And uh and then you know, then you're hanging out with all the you know, the, the dudes on the yard. You're you're in that you're in that group of dudes in the yard that are that are about something. Did you hear what I just said? Hmm. About something. Yeah. How in the hell can you be about something in prison? Hmm. I drank the Kool-Aid. Jim Jones had my ass. I drank the Kool-Aid. I thought I was about something, and I started to make a name for myself, Mm. and that mattered to me, but I was in prison. There's no place in the world you can go any lower than incarceration, other than death, but I'm making a name for myself. I'm building up all this false pride, and then I, you know, it was years before I realized the error in my thinking. We'll get to that part. Uh, let, let's go back. I, just remind me to come back there, right? I don't want to get out of order. But, so I do my fifth, my, my, my five-year prison sentence, get involved in all that, go home. I, this time I'm home for 60 days. So after my first term, I was out for 59. Second term, I was out for 60. So I'm getting better at it. I'm learning how to stay out longer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> By weeks. Right. Wow. Uh, my third prison term was six years. My fourth prison term was 10 years. So it was a two-year term out for 59 days five-year term out for 60 days six- year term out for four months 10-year term out for four months it is not an exaggeration to say the day I got out of prison I was on my way back every time as soon as I got out of prison because I was Dave derocher I'm the dope man right and I've made am picking up pounds of meth and I'm slinging pounds every day I'm right back in it for a short period of time but I'm making a lot of money right sometimes 10 15. how, day how are you day. even
0: getting like
1: who? Oh, I've got. You get
0: out and who, who's when, providing you with when them? you, are when you in, have no money?
1: When you are in the death style, some people call it the lifestyle, I call it the death style. When you're in the death style, you know. They know. I was even running stuff after my first term to Hawaii. I'm on a plane with pounds of glass taped to my leg with cowboy boots on. This is before the metal detectors that today's detectors would detect it. And it took us a long time to lay it all out. And I'm moving glass, pounds of glass to Hawaii and out in Hawaii. Just to load your meth bowl was a hundred dollars for a match right they don't even it's completely different in Hawaii. extremely violent in Hawaii, and I fell in love with it and I'm running back and forth right and I'm bringing all this money back. But it did all kinds of that kind of stuff. If I got busted for that would have been federal time. I would have probably gotten 25 years of federal time for doing that. Wow. Um, and when I got busted on my, my state term, my second or third term after I'd made a Hawaii trip. They found the Continental Airlines was the air, airlines it's no longer in existence, but Continental. And then you didn't go online to book your flight. I'd have to go to the counter and book my flight, right? Yeah. One-way ticket to Hawaii because I wasn't sure when I was coming back, so I'd buy a one-way ticket, Right. So I had that. And then when I was in Hawaii, I was getting my name changed because there's people there, you know, I got an identification. And my name was going to be changed to Hans, H A N S Hans Johnson. So the ID wasn't completely done yet. I come back to California with all the money so I could pick some more up to go back. Yeah. And I get busted. And they find the uh, Continental Airlines ticket stub. And the ID that was in the process of being completed. And they knew now that I'm running to Hawaii, but they don't have anything. They just know that I'd gone. Yeah. So, you know, things like that were starting to happen. And I was getting deeper and deeper into the dope game, into the sales game. Right. Huh. And. Of course, you know, I get an apartment here or an apartment there, but never in my name in her name or in her name. Because when you have a big bag of dope and a lot of money, there's plenty of women that want to be part of that lifestyle. They're living the same lifestyle, but, you know, they want the, they want the, to be with the drug guy. So, you know, I thought I was that guy. I'm Dave DeRocher. I got all these women. I got a woman over here, a woman over here, a woman over here, a woman over here. But there was no relationship there. Sure. It was purely dope and sex. Let's be real yeah. about it, right? Um, and in those apartments... Every single room in the house, I had loaded firearms. From 223 rifles to Uzis to 9 yeah. millimeters, in every room. If you're going to come in to my apartment to try to rob me, you're,
0: you're gonna not die. leaving.
1: You're going to die. And that was my train of thought, and I was dead serious. And I didn't go anywhere if I wasn't packing. And there was a couple of instances where I had a gun on me, and had I not had the gun on me, I wouldn't be here today. Wow. I wouldn't be here. Yeah. I was, I'm so glad that I made those— is that crazy to say that? But no, that's it's the world just, I was living it's in.
0: Just your your world. Yeah, it was the world I was living in. So, so relationships throughout this time. Plenty you've of. Got, you've got, you have three kids. Yeah. You're not seeing them. Oh no. You have no relationship oh, no. with them. None. And then uh, just different was, different I, women. I was a scumbag. But different women. It yeah. was. It was. It wasn't. There was no connection. It was just. Yeah. Can you provide me shelter and yeah. sex or whatever? That's it and I'll provide you with drugs and mm-hmm. BJ there was
1: so many women I couldn't count them I mean just so many women it was it was crazy sometimes a few a night but I'd have a safe what I referred to as safe houses all over southern california in orange county primarily san diego county to to you know, northern Orange County, but and everything in between. I could go to Michelle's, I could go to Jennifer's, I could go to Tracy's, I could go to Lisa's, I can go to anywhere, stay a night, shower, have them do my laundry, boom, keep running, keep delivering, keep wow. picking up, keep running. And then I had people all over town collecting money, right? And then I'd meet up with them, get the money, give them some dope for collecting the money. It was just it was a business. It was
0: literally a business. I didn't work it's for a, decades. It's a complicated business. It, oh, you have, no idea. <laughs> you have like, no idea. It's a complicated business. Like I can't imagine. Yeah. I think that's the. I mean, going back to that entrepreneurial. I mean, just your your entrepreneurial spirit from. Mm-hmm. I mean, albeit in the dark side, but you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. to think of just remembering safe houses mm-hmm. and addresses and and also how are you managing? How are you? I mean, you basically have employees selling drugs for you. Yeah. How are you managing employees and how are you making yeah. sure that they're they're not? Uh, I,
1: did, I didn't give them uh, insurance. They didn't have a 401k. No, they didn't. <laughs> or a pension.
0: <laughs> Don't they had any of that stuff. So but how do you, you, know what I mean, how how do you know that they're not, you know, taking whatever you your Yeah, so whatever. There's,
1: there's I know I know what I give them and I have payo sheets and this always got me in trouble. There was I had so much business that I had to keep payo sheets. They're called payo sheets. They have names and numbers and amounts and what was collected, what was not So every time I got busted with dope, cash, I'd have payo sheets. There was there was a time that I got busted with just over 6 pounds of meth. And 65000 in cash in my, my attache case. Pull up to a house. The music's on. I feel like I'm on top of the world. I've got money I've been sending safe to get off of me to get it right. But I've still got a lot. I don't even know how much. I haven't had a chance to sit down and count it. I'm just out moving dope every day. And I pull up to a house. It was Santa Ana Heights. It's an unincorporated area that the sheriff's patrol uh, in between Costa Mesa, basically, and I don't know if Santa Ana Heights Santa Ana, right? Uh, it's called Santa Heights. and I pull. I remember getting off the freeway, and I remember as I pull by Carl's Jr., I see a vehicle backed into Carl's Jr. It looked like a guy was taking a drink of a soda, but I don't think anything of it. I just drive by. We make eye contact. I keep going. I, you know, I got another you know couple thousand feet to get to the house. I get to the house. I pull in the driveway. I get out of the car. I open the back door. I pull my my bag, like my duffel bag, and I go in the house and I sit down and. Uh, Sheila comes and she jumps on my lap she was kind of the girl I was seeing at the time jumps on my lap and we embrace and the next thing I know I hear all this commotion I hear glass break it was just weird it was a weird moment and they're everywhere and they're in full riot gear like I'd never seen before with guns I'd never seen before with the clips are on top of the gun like I remember looking down, looking th- up the barrel of the gun while it was in my mouth, while he was saying, go ahead, give us a reason. Wow. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm thinking, which one of these wow. two, Lady Chris or Sheila, which one of these girls told on me? I don't know yet what's happened. But that day, George, right, called me and he had bought a few pounds a day before and he wanted some more. And he said, can you meet me at the same house? And I said, yeah. He set the whole thing up. He was in the police department already. Every time I ever got busted, I got told on. That's the name of the game, Right. So I get there.
0: So was George a, an actual customer, or was he? A, was he? A he was cover, but
1: he was getting his his dope from me. And but the thing with, here's the here's the interesting thing. Here's how good the cops were in Santa Ana Heights in this housing track, There's no street lamps. It's the older houses where the grass comes down and the curb is kind of rolled right, and there's uh, no sidewalk, and you just kind of walk through people's yards as you're going down the street. Probably built in the 40s or 50s. No street lamps. And I always remember these things, right, because that was the age of the house then. I remember the cops had – there was no cop cars on the street. There was no cop cars anywhere. What they had done the day before when I got the call to meet there is they had gone to the house and they would knocked on doors and asked them if they could come inside the house. So they were in all the houses around that house I was going to. So when I get to the house, I park the car, I go inside. Then they come out from all these houses. I come to find out it's called discovery when the police report came out where they were all at. And they just came charging into the house from the back, from the front. They had me. That particular t- sentence got me a ten-year prison sentence, but I was looking at over twenty, and I had to hire a private investigator to find dirt on the cops to give me some theory of defense. And then they started to negotiate, and I got it down to ten years. But it cost thousands of dollars for defense attorney and a private investigator. And of course, you know, people are going to love this part. Found dirt on the arresting officer. His name was uh, uh, Wiserick. Was his name? Found out what he had done previously. Not something to get him off the force, but. You know, he manipulated a situation. So now if he takes the stand, he's going to be a known liar. My lawyer is going to eat him up. Mm. So we negotiated it down to 10 years, mm. right? And I thought, okay, I can do this. Wow. So anyway, it got me a 10-year prison sentence. Two-year term, five-year term, six-year term, 10-year term. Lots of chaos in between. Lots of stuff in between those terms for short periods of time. I do the 10-year prison sentence, I get out. Of course, nothing changed things only got worse. As soon as I get out of prison, I'm right back to the same lifestyle. I'm in Huntington Beach, California. And you know Joseph and you know Tim. I've literally taken them back to this house. I'm at a house in Huntington Beach, California. I'm in the room. I'm weighing up some dope. Uh, got everything there. I'm on the phone. I'm setting up the deliveries and pickups and, you know, for money. And there, I'm upstairs and there's a window and I'm looking out the window and outside is a helicopter but it's not like you see today where the helicopter's just floating around the town keeping an eye on everything to make sure everything is safe. Way way up there it's just sitting there, right? Just way up there. So an hour goes by and I'm doing my thing and I look out the window again and I think it's still That's there. That's weird. It's still there, right? It had been quite some time. So I'm wrapping everything up, I'm getting ready to leave. The helicopter's still there. And I thought, nah, right? Cuz I'm at Tracy's house, you know? I'm I'm safe. This is one of my safe houses. I leave that house, I get my car, I take off. The cops were everywhere. Huntington Beach, PD, Fountain Valley, Garden Grove, parole, everybody. But I told everybody I knew, I'm never going back to prison. They're going to have to take me out this time. I'm not going back to prison. Two-year term, five-year term, six-year term, 10-year term. And I got lucky to get 10. I should have gotten 20. But I found dirt on that cop.
0: How long How long had you been out? Four months. You'd been out four months. Four months. And I was doing the same thing that whole so months. So right back at it. Mm-hmm. And so they- <laughs> probably been watching you the whole time. They were looking for me the
1: whole time because my parents lived in Vegas at the time and they were even looking for me there. They knew I was running. They knew I was moving dope. They knew I was what I was doing. They just didn't know where to find me. But I felt, it's funny, the soul keeps the score. I felt like... You know, because I'm hurting people. My parents are finding out because my ex was calling my parents. You st- he stabbed my brother. He did this. He did that. I'm, at this point, thinking my parents are going to turn me in for the first time in my life. I'm thinking my parents are going to tell on me. How old are you? Uh, 38 at that time. You know, this was the this was my last 30, 36, 37, somewhere, somewhere in there. 37. It was after my last term. So I was about 37 because I did quite some time in the jail on this one before I got to Delancey Street. But as I as, – when I well, – I got confused. Where was I at? Well, you're
0: the, – so the helicopter. Yes. There Look, are cops everywhere. So
1: <clears throat> I told everybody I'm never going back to prison. Yeah. I don't want to go back to prison. They're going to have to take me out. So I took them on a high-speed chase. For those of you who know Magnolia and Atlantic and Huntington Beach, I'm on Magnolia. I'm going south. I want to get to Atlantic, make a left, and get to the bridge in Costa Mesa and throw everything out the window into the water. Now, if I throw it down, if I can get to that bridge and throw everything, they've got me. I'm on a high-speed chase. I'm, I'm, I'm running from them, right? they got all that. But if I can get rid of everything, they've got to go down there and find it. If it's running water, they're not going to find it. And if they do, they got to prove that's what I found. I mean, there's a chance it could have already been there, right? That's how crazy my thinking was. But as I take off and get in this high-speed chase, I had told everybody, I'm not going back to prison. It's just, this yeah. is going to end ugly. Yeah. I yeah. have complete wanton disregard for public safety. I am going through red lights. I'm displacing vehicles in front of me. I am risking everybody's life. That helicopter had come all the way down. It had its spotlight on now. It's late. It's not late, but, you know, 830 at night. Shining its spotlight following the car. The cassophony of sound between the sirens, the commands to pull over, uh, all of that. It was a very harried time. And as I'm trying to navigate my way through, I mean, all these thoughts are going on in my head that I know I'm going down. You know what I mean? And I get to Atlantic and I want to make a left-hand turn. And some of the cops had kind of parked at the intersection. And as I'm approaching it, I'm slowing down. The cops are all behind me. Just imagine the sirens. And it's, it's crazy, right? Cars pulling over to get out of the way. I have a decision to make. Do I stop and do I let them arrest me? Or do I go through that makeshift roadblock and hope that they kill me and I opted for B? It's not that I wanted to die. It's that I no longer wanted to live. I've never wanted to die. I just didn't want to live and go back to prison forever. So I displaced those cars as I got to that intersection. I pushed them out of the way, made the left-hand turn. The cop closest to me did the pursuit intervention technique, the pit maneuver. Spun me out of control up on a, a kind of an embankment. It's a strip mall, you know, grocery store gym, all the little stores. They, the car is now undriveable after the damage that was done as it got shoved up on the curb and up through the, the, the brush. They pull me out of the car. They commenced to give me one of the worst beatings I'd ever taken in my life. I'm in handcuffs. The last thing I remember was, stop, stop. We're going to kill him. We're in the strip mall. People are watching. They can't keep beating me while I'm down, right? But could you imagine being law enforcement? You've got me. I just took you on a chase. I risked everybody's life, I'd have beat my ass too. For sure, I had it coming. For sure, right? I'm in handcuffs. I'm not supposed to. But what do you do with a guy like yeah. me? I had it coming.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> just just the, the human emotion. If mm-hmm. you're that, if you're a police officer, yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine the 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 restraint it would take to, to not be do so it. fired up in the moment and yeah. so angry at the, the potential danger you've put themselves in and another, uh, everybody you know, else. You know, and man. today
1: I'm an honorary colonel with the South Salt Lake Police Department. I know the police, we just had the police over to our facility doing trainings. I was just at the South Salt Lake Police Department yesterday for the candlelight vigil for David Romwell, who was killed five years ago yesterday. I'm super, super close with law enforcement. I love law enforcement. I always have. I just lived on the wrong side for a long time. I have a true understanding of who they are, what they go through, uh, being friends with law enforcement, I can't even imagine what it's like to be them pursuing me. And I was nothing compared to you know, big time dudes, yeah. right? I was just you know your street urchin, you know, out there selling dope and running amok. Could you imagine the guys who are running uh, tons of dope? The amount of risk you are as an officer. Yeah. So I have the yeah. utmost respect for law enforcement. Yeah. Same. Yes. But I, I I go to I go to jail and I'm looking at 29 years. When I finally get to court. Right, I'm looking at 29 years. That was really humbling. Two-year term, five-year term, six-year term, 10-year term. Now I'm looking at 29. So how a, many years is that total? How many? How many?
0: How many years have you been in prison? Uh, about 15 years of incarceration. Wow. Like right, 15 of your 39 or 37 uh, of, of the that, 20 of the, of the 23 that, that I'd been sentenced to at that. No, point. I mean, but 37 years old. Right. 15 of it, yeah. for sure, at least I'm incarcerated. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. That was crazy. And then so, I'm looking at essentially
1: what would have been the rest of my life. Yeah. Because right? if I go to prison with a 29-year prison sentence, I'm going to another four-yard like I did when I was on my 10-year sentence with lifers, and they don't care. When you're on a four-yard in California, there's there's four levels, uh, level one, level two, level three, level four. Level four is high points, lifers. Uh, when you're on that yard, you're not coming home for a long time. So nobody cares what happens. Nobody cares if they get in a fight. No one cares if there's a riot. No one cares who's getting stabbed because you're not coming home anyway. Hmm. Right? So I knew when I go back, I'm gonna end up on one of these yards and it's gonna be on. You know what I mean? And here I am again, back in that mix. Yeah. And I never really it was never really me. It's what I was doing at that
0: time in my life. Sure. But it's not me right? It's not me today. Well, it's interesting from my perspective, uh, it's not you, but my, and I've said this a couple of times already on this podcast, but who I see you to be is just a natural born leader. Hmm. So it kind of seems like it is you because like wherever you're going to be, you're going to naturally assume a leadership role. It's and a blessing if, and a curse, right? And, but I mean, if <laughs> if you are in a a level four prison, yeah, you know, it's like you're still naturally, uh, uh, you know, you're naturally geared to say, okay, who do I have here, and how can I lead us to something, or how mm-hmm. do I, That's exact- I, I? don't know. It's PJ, like it's
1: exactly what happened. It's yeah. exactly what I was doing. Yeah, it's like I had to be on the forefront. You
0: have to be leading. It's it's mm-hmm. this natural thing. So it depends on. Well, what position, what, what, what group are you in mm-hmm. and what is that impact going to be for the positive and the negative? But I think yeah. it is who you are. You're a leader. Yeah. It just, it just depends on what. Yeah. That's why
1: I said earlier, I'm glad I took the black hat off, put the white hat off. Uh, on yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I was yeah. leading all, yeah. uh, all the wrong, you know, I guess it's easier to lead amongst losers than lose amongst leaders. Right. And I didn't really get it uh, like that then, like uh, I do now. Right. And, but that's what I was doing. Now I'm amongst the, some of the greatest leaders in the world with Joseph Grenny, our chairman yeah. of the board, Tim Stay, our CEO. Heck, last week I got to do a 90-minute interview with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He came to the facility. We had to spend an hour and a half together. Right, he made some amazing offers when he becomes president, what uh, what I'd be willing to do to help the cabinet, right, uh, as, a, as a, uh, an advisor. I got to meet President uh, Biden a few months ago at an event, right? It was just a handshake, but with, Jay, yeah. uh, R- R- with RFK, I got to spend an hour and a half with him. So the, to my circle of influence today is completely different. Yeah. You're a friend, right? Yeah. The, but the people I get to spend time with today are different. Interesting. Um,
0: so, but you're still leading, right? And that's the common thread of your whole life. It's from what I'm hearing yeah. is yeah. this that's, that's entrepreneurial leadership. It just depends on
1: blessing and a curse. Yeah, yeah. So more of a blessing today.
0: Yeah. So of course, a blessing <laughs> yeah. to many people. Yeah. And I and we'll get to more of that. I, I'm I want to hear more. So you're at the spot where you're uh, you're looking at a. Yeah, 29 years. Yeah, I'm looking at what essentially would have been the rest of my life. And I and I, I
1: you know I get to the county jail, and I'm full of myself still, right? I'm Dave DeRocher. I've got this reputation. And you know, I, I want to make this very clear. Did I have a reputation? Oh, hell yes. When Dave got to the county jail, DeRocher's back. They'd shoot me over some coffee and some soups and take care of Dave when he got there. And I thought that made me about uh, something, right? And uh, how uh, did I build my reputation? By doing the wrong thing. I didn't have an iota of character. I didn't understand it back then. I thought that reputation was more important than character. Today, for me, character is far more important than reputation. I didn't see it like that. It took me years to learn it. So as I'm sitting in the county jail and I'm fighting my case, uh, eventually some of the ancillary charges had fallen off, and it went from 29 down to 22. You know, they always charge you with a whole bunch of things, right? And then over time, some of those things Uh, uh, fall off or you do enough time where you're fighting your case that they no longer matter and it came down to 22 years and my judge's name was Judge Richard Pacheco Uh, I'll never forget him he was very stern with me rightly so and he made it very clear that I was going to get 22 years whether I pled out or whether I went to trial now having had so much experience in the court system I didn't know how true that was if they could really do that But it was starting to sink in that I'm in some serious trouble. (laughs) I'm probably not gonna get out of this one, right, with anything short term. Not that 10 years or five years or six years were short term, but I was trying to fight my case to get it down to something manageable like 15. Two year term, five year term, six year term, 10 year term, 15 year term. It made sense, right? Hmm. So, you know, uh, thankfully, he was not going to come off that 22 years. So I'm in the county jail, and I'm going back and forth to court. And I'm fighting my case, and I'm playing the game, and I'm firing public defenders because you can do that, right? I don't want this public defender anymore, Your Honor. I'm not, I've come back to court, but I don't want this public defender. I want a new public defender. Well, can you articulate why? I tell him why, and I get a new public defender. Keep pushing it out because I want the girls to come visit me in jail. I want to use the phone every day in the county. I want people to keep putting money on my books so I can get canteen. I'm there with all my homeboys in Orange County, right? That's how bad I had it, how deep I was up in it. So I'd heard of a place called Delancey Street. After a while, I started to realize this is getting serious. I've been in the county jail for over a year fighting the case. I wrote Delancey Street a letter. Delancey Street's been around since 1971. It's a two-year residential life skills and vocational training school built ex- specifically for people like myself the long-term drug addict coupled with that criminal piece i wrote them a letter they interviewed me in the county jail they accepted me i got a letter of acceptance and i was thrilled i thought i hit the lottery and the judge told me he didn't cuss but he told me no and no uncertain terms mr Derosier." I don't care if Delanche Street interviewed you. You are not Delanche Street material. I will never send you to Delanche Street. You are going back to prison for a very long time. Get out of my courtroom. I'll never forget those words. So I get back to my cell. I'm For the first time really in my adult life, I'm scared. I'm broken. I'm tired. I've gotten to a point where God, please help me. This I'm going back to prison for the rest of my life. I'm probably not going to come home. My mom and dad had supported me all four prison terms, sending me money, quarterly packages, coming to visit me from prison to prison to prison, right? Driving all the way from Southern California or Las Vegas when they were living there to a prison, you know, driving an entire day, right? They could have got killed in a car accident. I didn't care right anything mm-hmm. could happen why are you coming to see me in prison i don't deserve that i'm making choices in my life that are landing me in prison the judges judges aren't sent, sentencing me to prison i'm asking to go with the lifestyle choices i'm making so i go back to my cell and i decide to write the judge a letter your honor i write him four pages front and back on legal pad and bj i pled guilty to all of my charges i said your honor here's the deal i told him my life story I said, I've been to prison four times already. It didn't work. Not that it's designed to. I understand that. You can send me back to prison again. Eventually, I'm going to come home and probably resume the same lifestyle because nothing will have changed. But Delancey Street wrote, uh, uh, I wrote Delancey Street a letter. They came and they interviewed me, Your Honor, and they think they can help me. Why don't you give me a chance? You already said no, but I'm pleading guilty today to sales, transportation, high-speed chase. I'm pleading guilty to everything on paper suspend my max exposure 22 years over my head, your honor. Let me go to Delancey street. If I get kicked out or I split, you can lock me up for the rest of my life. If I don't, the next time you see me, it's because I'm coming back to say thank you for the opportunity. I didn't know what to expect, PJ. Wow. Right. I get teared up thinking about it. Wow. I didn't know what so to expect. So he didn't offer that. He didn't. That offer. was something. You... I wrote him a letter and I didn't know what to expect. So six weeks later I go to court And I don't know if you remember what a phone booth looks like, right? Yeah. Picture something much smaller, a metal cage. And I'm in that cage. And ankle irons and waist irons and handcuffs. That's where I needed to be at that time in my life. I needed to be in that cage. Because that's the animal I'd become. And I'm not like everybody else. Oh my God, poor victim. Just had a disease. Wasn't his fault. He had some trauma. No, I was an asshole. I know how to hug the cactus. I know exactly who I'd become. And I know who I am today. And I know how I got here. So... Uh, I'm sitting in that cage in the courtroom, and Judge Pacheco said, "Mr. I didn't know what to expect, BJ. He said, Mr. DeRocher, against my better judgment, I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm going to let you go to Delancey Street, but when you get kicked out or when you split, I've got you for the rest of your life. I received your letter. You're now going to plead guilty in my courtroom verbally, to all of your charges and I'm sentencing you to 22 years. I'm going to suspend that sentence contingent upon whether or not you complete Delancey street. Do I think you can do it? I don't. Do I hope you do? Of course sent me on my way. I went to Delancey street. Hold on just
0: a sec. That was a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, what inspired you to write a four page letter to a judge who just told you no way in hell. Um,
1: what choice did I have? You know, it was, it, was just a, it, was, it was just a lucky... I think I was praying, but I didn't really have a relationship with God yet. But that doesn't mean I'm not praying, because a lot of people pray when they need something, even though they don't deserve it. And I got mercy, and I got grace. Um, and I to this day, now, today, I, the relationship I have with uh, Jesus Christ is much stronger than it ever was in my whole life, because he has to have a hand in this, or I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. And I just took a chance. I said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, self... Um, I'm going to write him a letter and I pled guilty to everything and I owned it.
0: But he and didn't I, ask you to do that. Oh, you God, just said, no. yeah, he, I on. pleaded with him. What, are, what is the way he's going to make this happen is yeah. if I just,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't have it. I don't even have a choice. It was just an inspiration. I just said, I'm just going to, I'm going to write him. And I wrote him my whole story and I asked him to, to let me go. And I said, suspend my suspend my sentence, Delancey street, your honor is built for guys like me. Why don't you think I can do it? Give me a chance. What do you have to lose? I get I get kicked out or I split, you can lock me up forever plus whatever my new charges are. You've got me. That I put that in the paper. I wasn't the only one that wrote the judge. When I decided to write the judge when I'm out in the day room and I'm calling home, one of my friends named Danny Vasquez also wrote the judge and he sent me a copy of the letter and I'll never forget what he said at the end of the letter. Danny said, he wrote, Danny, you know, he was writing the judge, what a decent guy I was outside of the fact that I'd become a drug addict and was doing all this. And he said, you know, Your Honor, Dave may never find the cure for cancer, but given the opportunity, he may find the cure for himself. I'll never forget that. Wow. It's, it's like tattooed on wow. my brain, that statement. So I think it was a number of letters mm. that got sent to the judge in concert with each other mm. that pulled on his heartstrings and he gave me a chance. Wow. And uh, wow! when I got to Delancey Street, it's a two-year commitment, and it's very, very difficult. People who are listening are going to go, oh, my God, he got out of a 22-year sentence to go to a two-year program. Oh, no, this is moral boot camp. They kick your ass in Delancey Street. It is no joke. And the minute I got there, I knew it was real because I saw people I hadn't seen for years, and they were different. They talked differently. They looked differently. It was amazing. But I'm going to tell you right now, drugs weren't my problem my behaviors were. I had become a liar, a cheater, a thief, a manipulator, a stone-cold, hedonistic animal that was willing to hurt people, right? That's who I'd become. Getting me clean and sober wasn't going to solve anything, because when I'm sitting in the county jail and I'm clean and sober, I'm still a liar, cheater, and a thief, and I'm still pulling strings on the streets. Drugs weren't my problem. The day I got out of the jail... Took them 36 hours to release me because they thought it was a mistake. There's no way he's getting out of jail. They had to wait for the courts to open up the next day to make sure it wasn't a mistake. My parents drove from all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, to Orange County to get me from the jail to Delancey Street. I get out of jail. There's a girl waiting for me in her car. I'm right by the block in in uh, Anna is it Anaheim? Theo Lacey is in. Anyway, whatever city it is, it's, it's Anaheim, I think. I get in her car. We drive across the street to the parking lot. We read some Bible verses. Um, Kidding about the Bible verses. Okay. We drive over to the parking lot. Got it. Okay, got it? (laughs) Got it. And then uh, I have her drive me back to the entrance of the jail, and my girlfriend's there to pick me up. That's the kind of guy I was. Wow. I just got out of jail. My parents are at the hotel right down the street waiting for me to get released. Wait, this is
0: after you just got this godsend letter. That Drugs aren't the problem.
1: They seldom are the problem. My thinking was the problem. I'd literally gotten PJ's car, drove across the street to read Bible verses. She dropped me back off at of the jail for Jennifer, my girlfriend, to pick me up, and we took off. My parents are waiting. Hours go by while I'm with Jennifer in this apartment, and something clicked. If I don't go now, I'm never going to make it to Delancey Street. I called my mom. This is no exaggeration. She made sounds on that phone I'd never heard before. She was screaming and crying at the same time. She knew exactly who I was with and where I was and what I was doing and she was right. And through the screams and the cries, she was so angry and so hurt that I had done this. She says, you have 15 minutes to get back to this parking lot or your dad and I are going back to Nevada, you are on your own. I said, Jennifer, take me to my parents. Took me to my parents. My parents took me to Delancey Street. I was hours late. Thankfully, they still kept me. Wow. I hadn't gotten high. I hadn't drank. I hadn't done anything. We were just, you know, having sex and doing our thing, you know, because we loved each other. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah. Um, I get to Delancey Street. Delancey Street's a two-year re-education facility. I mentioned it earlier. I stayed for eight and a half years in a two-year program. For those of you who are listening, just let that sink in. Most people who go to treatment facilities, thirty, sixty, 30, 60, or 90 days. Delancey Street's two years long. The magic of it is you can stay as long as you need to. I stayed for eight and a half years. Now, some people would say it's because I'm a slow learner. And, and they might be right. But we all know what that bell curve <laughs> but is, But they right? also don't know you. So right. that's
0: that's obviously not the case. Well,
1: y- you know the bell curve? Yeah, uh-huh. We're always taught. Sure. I, I'm at the other end of the arc on that bell curve. <laughs> um, so Dave, st- let's,
0: let's take a break here. I feel I feel like this is a perfect place to 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 section off two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um and then I'm I'm really excited to hear part two. So okay. let's let's take a little break and we'll come right back to it. Okay.